of a thought or you know something of that nature. So praise God. All right, Amen. We are uh, we are live, and we were having a great conversation with those of you who are joining us online here uh, in the uh, classroom. So praise God. It's good to have so many of you with us. Good to have all the guys back with us. We missed you last week, and uh, so good things uh, good things coming for uh, for everybody and all around. It's, it's been a, it's been a just an awesome day. I am. I'm, I'm usually always in an exceptionally good mood, especially on Wednesdays, but um, any day that I get to do some writing is a good day, and I got to do some, some writing, and some writing that I am actually believe will, will be published one day. I mean, it's, you know, there's writing, and then there's, I do a lot of writing, but, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> it's usually for my eyes only, but, uh, but this is some stuff, uh, um, some of you know I'm, I'm working on a book, and I've got a lot of books outlined and things, projects and things that I've started and things that I think I'm going to, uh, you know, will, will one day be finished and published. But the one that I've really settled in on uh, for this year that I, I want to get out this year is um, Working Titles Perfected Forever, and, it, and it's, it's, it's just an, uh, an expose on salvation and what it means to be saved and, and what happened to you when you were and, and the truth about it. And... Um, I don't like to mention this because I know you ladies don't get to stay on, on Wednesday nights, but a lot of the research and things that I'm doing for the book uh, are, are making its way into sermons here on, at Heritage on, uh, on Wednesday evenings, and so some of the guys have been a part uh, of, of some of that already. So, But anyway, praise God. But I'm excited uh, about class and, and the things we're going to be covering tonight, and so I'm glad that you're here uh, to be a part of it. So, uh, so let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these awesome men and women here in the room, those watching online. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. He's with us. He is in us. He is uh, among us and he is upon us, Lord, uh, all at the same time. And he's empowering us and enabling us uh, with the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, Father, to understand your truth and your word and your wisdom for our lives. Father, forgive us, Lord, for um, disagreeing with you. Forgive us, Father, for looking in the mirror of your word and seeing things, uh, but then walking away as if what we saw wasn't the truth. Uh, Lord, thank you that you're revealing some things to us about us for your glory. Some things, Father, that Satan does not want us to know and understand because he wants to cripple us with confusion and ignorance and deception. But he is a liar, and, and your Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he is leading us and guiding us into the truth that you have for us now this evening. Again, Father, we pray for those that are a part of this class now, but we also, uh, Father, look ahead to all the, the, the individuals, men and women, children, Father, people, uh, Lord, that these, these men and women are going to touch and impact for your glory because they were willing to set some time aside, Lord, to be equipped by the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to do what you've called them to do in this earth. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we look forward to our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. All right, so I think I got the title slide right, um, and I actually edited it three times, and I don't, anyway, <laughs> but it is class 25, and that is right, isn't it? Okay, yeah, it is right. And then it is part five, what is man part five? And so tonight we're going to look at uh, legal authority and then image and likeness, legal authority, and then, uh, of course, if we have time, the next one is going to be uh, image and likeness. And so uh, we've been, again, answering uh, this question. Let me get this right here. Praise God. All right, here we go. There we go. Thank you, Lord. All right. So answer the question, what is man? We, number one, we said man is a God-class being. Spent a lot of time on that. Don't want to start trying to review. We need to move forward. Number two, we've said that man is a spirit being. Man is male and female created he them, a spirit being. You are a spirit being. I've been teaching this for so many years, 
And, and it's very easy. Have you, it's very easy to not see yourself as a spirit being. Um, but again, our minds are being renewed and reconditioned uh, for us to under, understand ourselves in, the, in this way and in this truth. And then uh, number three, man is the legal authority on earth. Man is the legal authority on earth. Amen. So there is a popular teaching and doctrine in the body of Christ today that goes something like this. God is in control. Okay. And um, <clears throat> you can make a case for the accuracy of that statement only if you look at it from the bigger picture. God is in control in the sense that there's coming a day when Father God is going to lean over to His Son and say, enough already, go get them. And He's going to bring the church out of the earth uh, known as the Holy Rapture. And that, of course, is going to set in motion uh, things that, of course, are already in motion, but that's a transition in the sense that it's going to escalate, I guess we could say at that point, uh, what will lead to the culmination or the end of this age of the earth um, as we know it. But somewhere lost in all of that is people who take this God is in control to an extreme in the sense that they believe this means that whatever happens is God's will and, and, and if God wills it, it's going to happen and there's nothing that anybody can do about it. And, and the Bible simply does not support that position. What the Bible does support and what the Bible does reveal is that when God created mankind, He created us to have dominion and authority over this created realm. Now, here is, and I'll get a little bit ahead of myself, but let me just go ahead and introduce this as, as we um, move into what the Bible says about these things, is that we were created, created by God in such a way as for Him to not just rule over you and me, but for Him to rule through you and me. And that to me is, is an extremely important truth to, to recognize and understand. Not just rule over. God didn't say, you know what, I don't have enough to rule over. I think I'll create some beings in my image and likeness so I'll have somebody else to keep under my thumb. That, that, that was not His heart for you and me at all. I think, you know, when we looked at uh, spirit being and God class being and we talked about God creating you and me to be a part of His eternal community and that ultimately our, our ultimate purpose is fellowship. We see then that at the heart of fellowship is sharing. At the heart of fellowship is uh, this, this uh, you know, co-laboring, co-existing, uh, working together. And so when God created Adam, He created Adam and told Adam to rule and reign over the earth. But of course the only way Adam could ever fulfill that assignment is through his fellowship or his union, his connection with God. When Adam lost that connection, he began of course to fail miserably at ruling and reigning over the earth. And this is not just an Old Testament concept. We see this throughout the New Testament. We see this when, when Jesus said to you and me, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, again, we'll probably bring some of those scriptures back up tonight. But, but this goes back to the authority uh, that God has uh, delegated to you and me where things on this earth are concerned. Uh, Bill Winston, one of my uh, favorite uh, preachers, he is also a teacher, but he's also a preacher. If you're not familiar with Pastor Bill Winston, um, I pray that, that you will, will become familiar with him soon. But he says that, and he pastors the Great Living Word uh, Church in uh, outskirts of Chicago, but he says God's not running the world, God's running the church. God's running the church, 
And if, if God is running the world, I, I know this is going to, I don't mean any disrespect, okay, but if God's running the world, He's doing a, a pretty poor job of it. And I know that's kind of a shocker statement for, for us to say, but, um, you know, what's the crime rate in heaven uh, after dark on the west side? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? There, it, there's no crime in heaven because that's where God's in control. That's, that's where God is, is, is running things. Um, the Bible, again, is very clear about it. Satan is the lowercase g-o-d of this world. Where did Satan get the title God? God, our Father, did not give Satan the title God. He gave Adam the title lowercase g-o-d, and then Adam surrendered that title to Satan. That's how Satan became the prince of the power of the air. That's how Satan became the lowercase g-o-d, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, uh, of this world. And Jesus confirmed that. So we, we sometimes act like, you know, the, the, the devil doesn't have anything to do with what happens on this earth. And then we sometimes act like we don't have anything to do with what happens on this earth and that only God has anything to do with what happens on this earth. And again, the Bible simply does not support that. But it's to the devil's advantage for the church to think that whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And, and no matter what we do, things are going to turn out however they turn out. The devil is the one who's behind that lie. The devil is the one who wants us to think that way. Things are better when we pray. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Things are better when we pray. But if they're better when we pray, then they're not when we don't. They can't be better when we pray and better when we don't pray. And, and I know, again, that's a simple statement, but, but I'm just trying to show you, if God is in control and if He's calling all the shots and if everything that happens is somehow you know, good, bad, or indifferent, it's all His will, and even if you don't understand it, you'll understand it in this week by and by. Again, this, this creates apathy and, and laziness uh, in the church and, and, and causes the church to be in, at best, a defensive posture instead of an offensive one. Think about this for a moment. If you only pray in response to the devil's attack against you, if the only time you pray is when somebody you love gets sick or when somebody you know has a financial issue or when you've got some problem in your life and it's like, okay, let's pray about this. Do you realize then if you only pray in response to the devil's attack, you're remaining in a defensive posture and you're allowing Satan to not only determine when you pray but what you pray about. See, we've, we've got to get out of this defensive posture and get on the offensive. And that was kind of part of some of the conversation that we had uh, before we started uh, the live stream uh, tonight. Is, is Satan has been defeated. But now we remember um, that, I know some of you weren't here for these classes, and, and even if you were here, maybe some of this stuff you forget. But it's, it's not just... Remember we, I'm trying to remember the exact verses it's in Ephesians. I don't know the exact reference. Please don't start looking for it. I don't want to get us distracted. But, but remember when he said, when God said that he wanted to prove to the powers of darkness by the church. Death never was a threat to Jesus. Are you following me? Death, sickness, poverty, curse, addiction. None of these things were ever a threat to Jesus. Why, why did, or how did they become a threat to him? They became a threat to him when they became a threat to his body. We are the body of Christ. 
And so now he is what? He is on the throne at the right hand of the Father. We're seated there together with him in those heavenly places. And what is he waiting for? He's waiting for every, what he set in motion, those dominoes that he kicked over when he first started. He's waiting for all those dominoes to fall. And he's waiting for every enemy to become his footstool, for every enemy to be under his feet, not for every enemy to be under his chin. Jesus is the head of the body. He didn't say under my chin, under my feet. Feet are on the body. We're the body. So he's talking about you and me taking the victory that Jesus has won for us, yoking up together with him, and exercising that victory and that authority in our lives and in the lives of others here on this planet. Again, what started in the garden continues. The, the, the mandates in the garden were be fruitful, multiply, fill up the earth, uh, have dominion, subdue it. Right? Compare that to Jesus then saying, uh, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, uh, cast out demons, heal the sick, speak with new tongues. So our God is a, is a conquering force, a conquering spirit. And his desire is for you and me to rule and reign in life. When we get to uh, the section of teaching on our righteousness, Romans 5 and 17, it says you've received as a born again believer, you have received an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness so that you might rule and reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. So again, not just to rule over you, but to rule through you. Not just to rule over you, but to rule through you. So there's a reason why we want to be in charge. There's a reason why we, we, we are not uh, happy if, if we're being oppressed because we weren't created to be the, head, the, the tail. We were created to be the head. We weren't created to, to be beneath. We were created to be above. And, of course, the blessing of God, the empowerment of God in our lives enables us to do that. Amen? Amen. Am I going too fast for you? All right. So let's look at this. Believe it or not, we're back in Genesis chapter 1 again. Amen. Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That next phrase, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. In other places, maybe we'll look at these verses a little bit later. It literally says, over all the works of God's hands, over everything that God created, He wants you and me to have dominion over that. So uh, I think it's the King James Version. One, one translation says, let them rule, let them have uh, dominion. So dominion has to do with rulership, and it has to do with, with, with ruling and reigning over your domain. Dominion and domain go together. Now, here's another verse that, that speaks to this, uh, and it's Psalm 115 and verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens, there's the plural again, are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. The earth He has given to the children of men. Now, if you, if you read the Scriptures, you can find Scriptures that say the earth belongs to us, and then you can also find scriptures that say the earth belongs to God. And, and this uh, is confusing to a lot of people. And to be honest uh, with you, uh, it, it confused me for a while because I, not in the sense of, okay, well, God don't know what he's talking about. It, it was, okay, how do I explain this to people when, when God says, let them have dominion, let them rule, right? And the earth has been given to you and me. Uh, but then the Bible also says that the earth belongs uh, to God. And so which one is it? It's both. And, and this is, I think, will help you, and I believe it will help you the same way it helped me, is that if we think of it as a lease agreement. 
So the, the earth belongs to God, but we have legal authority over it. Now, here's one verse. Again, we could spend a lot of time on this. I just want to spend a little bit of time. But it's going to set up, I believe, what we're going to look at for the rest of our time together tonight. And it's in Luke chapter 20, verse 9. And, of course, this was a, a parable that Jesus taught when he said uh, in Luke 29, Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. So we see if, the, if we were going to teach on this parable tonight and spend 20, 30 minutes on it, which we're not, that all of this, of course, is a parable talking about uh, Jesus coming and the rewards and the punishments, you know, so that people could understand the story and get closer to understanding uh, the way God has set things up to function. So the key word here is that the vineyard belonged uh, to a certain man, uh, but then he leased it. Uh, to vine dressers. Now, I don't know if you've ever rented uh, an apartment or rented a house or rented a location for your business or if you have ever been a landlord or landlady and, and rented uh, something that you owned, a piece of property that you owned uh, to someone else. But if, if you understand that, and so, so here's an example, and, and this is the first time I've taught these things since my wife and I have uh, divested ourselves of our rental properties, okay? <laughs> I didn't make a very good landlord because I have a strong gift of mercy. And so, you know, uh, <laughs> didn't take people long to figure that one out, right? And, uh, you know, the preacher's not going to put my stuff out. He's not going to evict me. And so anyway, um, and so just better off for us. With the, the church here, um, we have a, uh, a limited liability corporation, and we the church owns some uh, rental, commercial rental properties, and I still... Uh, uh, help manage those and oversee those with the help of others. But, but so let's just, as a landlord, okay, um, once that lease is signed, I still own the property, but I can't enter that property without permission from the person that I have rented it to, right? Watch this now. Even if they need me to get in there and fix the toilet. Even if they need me to get in there and replace the microwave vent hood, I still have to get permission from them to enter a property that belongs to me to do something for them in their, are you ready, domain. Because it becomes their domain legally. All right? So if you can understand that concept, God has in essence leased this planet to you and me he wants to help us oversee it and run it, and if things get out of order, subdue them, right? But he cannot do so legally without our cooperation, dare I say it, without our permission. Without our permission. Now that's going to sound strong and maybe kind of almost crazy to some of you, but let's go now to Psalm 24. I think I've got your attention, whether or not I've got your agreement yet or not. Amen? Psalm 24, 1 through 10. We're going to look at it in two different translations. Psalm 24, and I'll put these up on the screen. Verses 1 through 10. Let's, let's dig into it. The earth is the Lord's. Aha, see, Pastor Mark, it's the Lord's. But he just said that he's given it to the sons of men, right? So which one is it? The, well, let's look. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. 
For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Oh, uh, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let's stop here for a moment. When God created um, Adam, the Bible says he blessed him. He blessed him. And it's sad to me that so few people in the body of Christ understand what that actually means. We hear the word blessing and we think something you say after somebody sneezes or something we say real quick, like if we're in a restaurant especially, before we eat our food. But the blessing is like a handful of other topics that you can literally start in the book of Genesis and follow the, the, the string all the way through the Bible, all the way even over into the New Testament. So when the Bible says God blessed them, He literally empowered them with uh, a blessing from heaven. The blessing is something tangible, right? He, he, he put a, a favor on them. He put blessing on them, which empowered them to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill up the earth, to have dominion and to subdue it. Okay, God would have never empowered Adam to put things in order, right? Uh, unless there were going to be things that needed to be put in order. Are you still with me in here? Okay. So obviously Adam had authority to put things in order where it was uh, where uh, Satan tempting Eve and, and the fruit and all that is concerned. He just simply didn't do it. He simply didn't do it. And so the blessing was lost. But then we see the blessing again when it was placed upon Abraham and then promised to Abraham's descendants. And you can trace that blessing as it was given uh, to the different ones. And it, it initially was going to the firstborn. But then, of course, we see Joseph was, what, the 11th out of 12, uh, 12 sons. Uh, and yet the blessing went to Joseph. But now we see that Jesus has come and became a curse for you and me so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the non-biological descendants of Abraham. All right? So, <clears throat> praise God. So when it talks about shall receive blessing from the Lord, these are, these are not casual words. Okay? This really helped me understand blessing. And Brother Copeland taught me this. We tend to think um, that, uh, you know, I got healed or I got a raise or I got um, a, new, a better job. Uh, or something good happened to us. And we go, man, man, I'm so blessed. But, but listen to me, please. You're not blessed because you're healed. You're healed because you're blessed. Amen. Do you see the difference there, right? We, we look at it and we say, oh, that's, that's such a blessing. Well, what we're really saying here is that something good happened to us. Why did it happen? It happened because there's an empowerment from heaven on your life that's producing good results in your life. Okay, so when it says he shall receive blessing from the Lord, these are these are not casual words. These are words that the original hearers would have. Because see that blessing, the blessing of Abraham, <laughs> study that. Okay, when God put his blessing on Abraham, the Bible says Abraham became very rich. He became so rich he didn't even know how much he had. Okay, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Okay. Right? Amen. Father God wants you to prosper. If you're a parent in this room, and you, which means you have children, then you can't tell me any good parent wants their children to suffer and struggle. We want our children to have better than we've, we've had, right? We want them to be better off than we were. We want them to have it better than we've had it. 
I got the right bunch tonight. Is that a yes or a no? Amen. We, we get this heart from God. He takes pleasure in the prosperity of His servants. This whole, well, praise God. You won't find vow of poverty in the, in the Scriptures. Right. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek Him, who seek, who seek your face, Selah. So now verse 7, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. Okay, so now think about it. He's talking about gates with heads. What is a gate? A gate is a doorway, right? A gate is designed to let good things in and keep bad things out. Am I right about it? The keys to the kingdom. Are you hearing me? The keys to the kingdom. What does a key do? A key opens and lets good things in. A key locks and keeps bad things out. And he's given you and me now the keys to the kingdom. He's given you and me. Keys represent access. Keys represent authority. And keys represent responsibility. I'm reviewing now. Some of you hearing this for the first time. But we talked spent almost a whole class on, on, on these things, right? So you've been given the keys, and keys represent access, keys represent, again, authority, and keys represent responsibility. I, I shared the story of when I got promoted to evening manager at Chick-fil-A, and I got a set of keys and a combination to the safe, okay? So again, access, to lock the door, to open the door, authority, to, to run the restaurant in the absence of our owner, and then, of course, the responsibility that came with that. So the keys to the kingdom, I think, again, good for us to understand. So now he's saying, lift up your heads, your gates be lifted up, you everlasting doors. So he's talking about gates with heads. He's not talking about a metal gate or a wooden gate. He's talking about human beings and calling us gates, right? Now, the Passion Translation, we'll begin at verse number 7. So wake up. You living gateways, lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. I've, I don't know how many times I've read that, and every time I'm like, it's worth the price of admission to get a copy of the Passion Translation just for that one phrase right there. Come on now, you're an ageless door of destiny. Praise the name of the living God. Lift up your heads, you ageless doors of destiny. Welcome the King of glory, for He is about to come through you. You ask, who is this glory king? The Lord, armed and ready for battle. The mighty one, invincible in every way. So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. Fling wide, you ageless doors of destiny. Here he comes. The king of glory is ready to come in. You ask, who is the king of glory? He is the Lord of victory, armed and ready for battle. The mighty one, the invincible commander of heaven's hosts. Yes, he is the king of glory. So our connection to Him becomes the gateway. Our connection to Him becomes the doorway, the gateway, by which He is able to enter the affairs of mankind. When you look at all the things God has done in the earth, there is a common denominator. And that common denominator is Him finding a man or a woman that would cooperate with Him. Think about it. Think about it. Abraham, think about Moses. 
When you, when you read the story of Moses, God was ready to deliver his people from Egyptian slavery. Well, why didn't he just do it? He had to find somebody that he could work through. He had to find a gateway. He had to find a door with a head that would allow him to come through them and work through them in the earth. And so even if, you, if you're familiar, Moses' story may be the most uh, poignant where all these uh, stories are concerned. Uh, because remember, he was reluctant at first. He was like, oh, no, I'm not a speaker. Oh, no, God, do you not remember? I killed a man back there. I'm, I'm basically hiding out back here. There's probably a warrant for my, you know, he, all these arguments and disagreements. And, and it, was, it was like every, every time he would bring something up, God was like, well, we'll do this. And it wasn't just that, that, that Moses was reluctant. You know, on the other side of Moses' reluctancy was God's urgency to, to work together with him to see these things performed. Of course, the greatest, Moses might be one of the most obvious ones to see it, but of course the greatest example is that Jesus actually became a man and dwelt among us. And of course, He is the quintessential figure in all of human history because as a man, God worked through Him in such a mighty and powerful ways. Are you coming around to this a little bit more now when we're seeing this, right? We see that God, again, is looking for a human being, someone who has a lease, a leaseholder, who will allow him to get involved in the affairs of this earth, all right? Let's keep going. There's more. I got more. You know I got more. Praise God. Isaiah 59 and 16. God speaking. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained him. So first of all, let's just, let's just consider what he's saying here. God wondered that there was no intercessor. What is he doing? He, what, first of all, what's an intercessor? An intercessor is someone who goes before God on behalf of others. Someone who intercedes. Someone who represents you. So uh, an attorney, for example, would be an intercessor. Someone who would represent you before a judge in, in a courtroom or something to that effect, right? And so notice now, all, the, all these things are taking place on the earth that need God to be involved in, to make right, to set straight, to, to change, to deliver, to heal, right? And God's up there in heaven. He is amazed that there's nobody on the earth, right? Remember, covered shadow of hand, words of mouth, plant the heavens. God can't find anybody, so that's what he says. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. This, of course, is speaking prophetically of Jesus becoming a man and being the ultimate intercessor for humankind. Isaiah 63 and 5, we see it again. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. Wow, 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 wow. Are you seeing this? In other words, God's like, there's so many things I want to do, but I can't find anybody that'll work, that'll work with me. Can't find anybody let me, that'll let me in. Can't find anybody that'll, here's a big word, in the, a big phrase in the New Testament, who will give me place. 
see, we, the Lord spoke to me, uh, I don't know, it's been a few years ago now, but He said, my people are wanting me to do things in their lives that they haven't given me place to do. Wondering why God's letting us down, why God's isn't. And, and we haven't given God the place in our lives to do what we need Him to do. See, God can only keep what you commit to Him. Get people mad at God because God hasn't kept things that, that have never been committed to Him by those people. Getting quiet up in here. All right, let's go. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. Then He said to them, The harvest truly is great. The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay? So now, we know that we had Jesus, started with John the Baptist, then Jesus, then the 12 disciples, and then 70 others that Jesus had appointed to go and represent the kingdom and declare the kingdom and heal the sick and, uh, and, and minister to people on his behalf. But there were still, now you've got, you know, counting Jesus, 70 plus 12 is 82. Jesus makes 83. You've got 83 that we know of. But even as many as that is, it's a drop in the proverbial bucket compared to the need. Compared to the number of people that need God's help and intervention in their lives. And so he said to them, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, I want to, we're going to camp out here for a minute, okay? Because there's a few things, and that's what, if you, don't, if you don't have one of these, grab one. There should be enough. I hope there was enough for everybody. I tried to make sure there's enough for everybody. And we'll, we'll explain what this is about here in just a minute, okay? But let's, let's just kind of break some of this down now. This, this passage has, has always fascinated me for, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of reasons. You know, why does Jesus tell us to pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest fields, in other words, why, why is it necessary for us to ask if there is a need, why doesn't God just go ahead and send them whether we ask or not? You follow what I'm saying here, right? And it was, okay, these, there are people that need help, and, and, and God sees their need, and He knows that they need help. Why is it so important that, that, that we ask, okay? All right, we'll get to that in just a moment, but I'm going to back up, okay? Based on what Jesus is saying... Does the number of workers affect how many people are reached? It's not a trick question. Yes, absolutely. Or let me ask the question a different way. Will the same number of people be reached and helped and ministered to no matter how many workers are involved in the harvest? Absolutely not. My, uh, my wife's uncle, I consider him my uncle as well. Uh, he passed uh, a couple of years ago now, but... He lived in Lakeland, Florida, and we would go and visit him sometimes. And we were there. Uh, I don't know if it's the strawberry capital of the world. I know this is out west in different places. But as far as this part of the world, it's one of the leading uh, you know, strawberry producers. And when it's harvest time uh, for the strawberries in, in Lakeland, 
What happens to all the strawberries that no one gets around to harvesting? They, they die. They die on the vine. They die on the vine. So Jesus is asking us to pray for laborers to go into the harvest. If there's a need, why doesn't God just go ahead and send them? In other words, why do, why do we have to ask? Are you understanding what I'm saying here? Okay. So here are some thoughts. And I believe this is at least getting us closer to the answer. The harvest is His. The laborers are His. But the field and the responsibility for the harvest are ours. Right? Let, let, me, let me say it another way. All right. She's got this big, you know, uh, hundred acre strawberry field and it's time for harvesting and I mean you got all the everybody in there that 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 you can get okay and so now all of a sudden you got a crew of um, of strawberry harvesters that that are looking for work all right do they just assume in other words they just walk out in the field and start harvesting or we got to find who owns this field and get permission from the owner are are you seeing this to gain access to uh, to the strawberries. Yes, no, maybe. Am I, am I being too simple with this? Okay. So prayer then is earthly. Let me get back to it. Praise God. Say it again. It, it, well, come on with it, Andre. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's, that's us, right? That's us. Um, You're looking at my notes. Miles Monroe. Miles Monroe said this stronger than anybody I've ever heard say it. All right. He said, prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. That's Dr. Miles Monroe. Earthly permission for heavenly interference. Now, Father wants the people reached. He wants the people helped. And he is able to connect the right laborer to the right field. Are you with me? There are fields of, of, of laboring that Father connected me to that if you'd asked me when I was a kid, I would, I would have never told you that that was a field that he would send me to. But he sent me to it. Are you hearing me? Amen. And my mom and others, I'm sure, but you know, there are people praying. Uh, for the laborers in the harvest field. Okay? Try not to talk about this a lot in here, but the whole harvest field of addiction recovery. <laughs> Never saw that one coming. Never saw that one coming. Okay? Um, and even to this day, if I listen to some of those thoughts the devil tries to put in my head, because he's telling me, you're not qualified. You know, I heard one of the most, probably one of the most popular uh, preachers in the world today and he can preach, and I'm not going to say his name because I'm not here to speak negatively about him, but, you know, he does get someone in his 20-minute run, you know. Uh, if you don't know what it's like to be a drunk, you can't help me. If you don't know what it's like, you can't be, you know. And I'm like, well, I don't guess I could help that man, you know what I'm saying? But, you know what, if I, if I can't help him, then Jesus can't help him because Jesus was never addicted to heroin. But he sure can help somebody who, who has been, right? Are you following what I'm saying? 
so the, see, the world and religion says, well, you know, you, 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 you got to have some kind of cultural connection, some kind of experiential connection. No, 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 no. You know, very good chance that God will send you somewhere you don't even know the language. That's what he did with our associate pastor here, Marcos. I mean, he got born again and, and felt the call of God on his life. And next thing you know, he's in Costa Rica trying to learn how to speak Spanish so he can be a missionary in Honduras. And was there for 13 very effective and productive years. You see what I'm saying? So, and, and enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, it's not like, oh, you know, you've got to go here. No, if you're where God wants you to be, you're in your happy place, your wealthy place. Amen. So pray for the laborers. But see, this comes back to, you know, God is there. He's available to help us. And the dishwasher is pouring water out in the floor. And he's wanting to fix it or replace it. But we've got a lease on the house. Watch this now. And we ain't been living right. Or let me say it this way. We got a man in our church. He's such a blessing to, to all of us here. And he has a lot of rental properties. And, and one of the things he told me early on when Pam and I had some rental properties, he's, he said, well, one, thing, one good thing about when people get behind is they don't, you don't hear from them very much. I had some people that got way behind it. I didn't hear from them. I should have heard from them because there was stuff in that house that needed to be fixed, right? Okay. So, but now notice, you know, we, oh, you know, uh, I'm not worthy of God's help. You know, there's crazy reasons why we don't invite God into the situation. We keep the gate closed. We keep the ageless door of destiny, you know, tucked away in a corner somewhere. So prayer is earthly permission for heavenly interference. Now, let's... Let's go here, and this is going to kind of lead us into this next section. Matthew 6, 7 through 10. We, we could read all of this, but again, this is another one of those things that take us 30 or 40 minutes. I'm just going to touch on this, and we'll keep moving here. And when you pray, this is Jesus speaking. He's given us instructions. Notice when you pray. Before this, if we had backed up some, uh, he's talking about not if you give, but when you give. Not if you fast, but when you fast are connected to this, not if you pray, but when you pray. So he's telling us how to do it correctly and not to make a show of it, to be seen of men, but some very practical and specific instructions when it comes to prayer in this case and fasting in the other and giving in the other. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Let's stop right there for a minute. How many times have we heard things like, we had people praying in 14 states and three countries for so-and-so, so-and-so. And God didn't answer. It must not have been His will to help her, right? What's the, what's the point here? The point is, we think because we got so many people speaking so many volumes of words into heaven that somehow, right, that's going to earn us a miracle or earn us. That's, has not, that has nothing to do with it. Matter of fact, notice Jesus says, do not think a whole bunch of words are going to somehow tip the scales in your favor. He said that's how the heathen approach things. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. He knows what you need before you ask Him. So there's no need to ask? <laughs> no. There's still need to ask. See, this is, this is where God's in control. He knows what we need. He'll figure out how to get it to us. He's already figured out how to get it to you. You just haven't figured out how to receive it yet. Okay? So verse 9, he says, In this manner, 
Therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So first of all, our, I like that word our, I like that word us. We see that word a lot in the gospels, referring to God and you and me, us, okay? So what is he saying? He's, he's saying that when you pray to me, you come to me like a child comes to his father, loving father, okay? And notice Jesus did not say you pray to my father. He said you pray to, come on, say it now, our father. We've been to this verse before already. Where is he? He's in heaven. Where are you and me? We're here on the earth, right? He's there. We're here. What is he saying? Hallowed be your name. So you recognize who he is. You, you, you spend some time uh, confessing and worshiping uh, who he is and, and who you are to him. Then the next thing, prayer, model prayer, example prayer to follow. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? Are you seeing this? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This should be the battle cry of the church. Come kingdom, be done will of God on earth as it is in heaven. However it is in heaven tonight, Father God wants it to be so with you here on the earth. And prayer is about things being on earth as they are in heaven. The will of God being done here as the will of God is being done in heaven. Okay? So... If he already knows what we need before we ask, you would think, well, there's no need to ask. But yet the Bible says we do need to ask. Now, I don't want to go too far down this road. I don't want to confuse you, especially some of you that maybe haven't had a lot of teaching here. But one of the errors that a lot of people make is they think that God does things in our lives according to his ability. But it's not just according to his ability, it's according to your ability to believe and receive. Remember the, remember the dad who brings his uh, demon-possessed son to the disciples and they try to cast the demon out and they can't. And then Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down, the big brouhaha going on. And you know, what's going on here? And, and the, young, uh, the little boy's dad says, if you can do anything, help my son. Jesus says, it ain't about what I can do. It's about what you can believe. If you can believe, not what I can do. Are you hearing me? It's so important here. It's so important here. Let me, let me see if I can. Hallelujah. This kind of been brewing in me. I haven't really spoke this out loud yet, but I'm going to speak it out loud. Okay, so, so we believe in healing here at Heritage Christian Center because the Bible teaches that, that it's God's will to heal. And matter of fact, by his stripes, you were healed. But then, you know, over the years, you know, sometimes people say things like, well, you know, um, God can heal me without a doctor. God doesn't need a doctor to heal me. And you know, you know what? You're right. God doesn't need a doctor to heal you. But maybe you need a doctor for God to heal you. Because, again, it's not based on what God can do. It's based upon what you can believe. It's getting quiet up in here, right? Those of you who have struggled with addiction in the past, God doesn't need a program to set you free from addiction, but maybe you need a program for God to set you free from addiction. Do you see, do you see the difference there, right? Amen. And so he uses these things, but it still comes back to we, we've got to ask. 
How about this? Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7. We'll go through verse 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. This is the master speaking, written in red. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Because 28% of those who ask receive. <laughs> Just making sure you were paying attention, right? So everyone who asks receives. What, what about those who don't ask? Well, James says you have not because you don't ask. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man, verse 9, is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Who ask Him? So, we, you know, I sometimes... Um, I guess y'all probably figured out by now that I'm a pretty analytical dude. You know what I'm saying? I like to, I like to analyze things, and, and it's just part of how God hardwired me um, to, uh, to look at things and to, and to search things out. And, and um, what is it? It's, it's, uh, uh, it's God conceals a matter, and, and, and men you know, search it out. And, and so um, it's, it's one of the great joys of my life uh, to, um, to get together with with. Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and, 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 and search things out and, 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 and learn and um, you know, understand things and, and be able to explain things to people, right? Okay? And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not just trying to be uh, um, flippant here with this, okay? But whether or not you ever understand why, I'm trying to help you understand why we, we have to ask, okay? But how about this for simplicity, okay? Because God said so. I mean, was, amen. I mean, you know, you know, when it's all said and done, He's God, and 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 you know, He He created us. We didn't create Him, right? And this is how He set it up to function, amen. And um, if He knows what you need before you ask, uh, you still need to ask. Now, I believe again, we're looking at some things about. He's put us in charge here, and and he respects that, and 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 we have a lease, and uh, he's given this to us, and he wants to cooperate together with us. Okay, he wants to work together with you and me, and we learn a lot. Um, I, one of the things I enjoy here at the church is is some of the older gentlemen in the church that that help with projects around here. Uh, I, I love to work with them. My nephew was. Uh, uh, Joel was helping uh, Marty. Jerry was here helping me and Joel hang some of the acoustical panels in the in the sanctuary. And I told Joel, I said, Joel, every time you work with Jerry, you're gonna learn something, right? You know, and uh, and it's, so again, you know, I I, I enjoy uh, learning things from my elders and, and 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 all this other stuff. But again, bottom line of it is, this is how God set it up to work and to function. Amen. And and asking is requirement. Amen. Amen. So I think it again comes back to, I was going somewhere with that, but what was I saying before all that? Anybody? Okay. It must not have been important, but amen. It'll hit me in a minute. Thank you, Jesus. I got a lot firing off in the head right now. 
Are you seeing this? So do you see the importance of this? It's the co-laboring, the working together. So when we, when, when we allow Father to work together with us, it's amazing what we can learn from Him. It, 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 that's the example of me working with you know, someone who's more experienced and knows things that I don't know. You get together and do a project with them. You come out of that knowing things you didn't know going into it. And so there's that benefit for you and for me as well um, as we grow. Now, um, what I, why I wanted to give you this is um, there is a website that um, uh, joshuaproject.net. Maybe you've heard of that website. Maybe you have not. But it's a great resource for the body of Christ. And what you find on joshuaproject.net is some of the most detailed information about um, groups of people in the world who need to be reached with the gospel. And um, I downloaded um, and printed off these little slips of paper. I mean, technically, these are supposed to be cards, but our printer wasn't doing good with cardstock, and so I just thought, well, we can keep up with the paper. It'll maybe put it in your Bible or fold it or what have you. But in each one of these, like I got um, a place in northern Afghanistan. I guess it's called Pashtun. Um, I, some of these names, I don't even know how to... Azer, Bajan, again, it's okay, the Lord knows who they are, all right? Um, here are uh, a group of, so these are not, when we say nations, praying for nations, nations in the, in the New Testament is ethnos, it's talking about people groups. So one, uh, like, political nation or one geographical location called a nation could have uh, different people groups um, within that nation. And so that's why, like here, um, S-Y-L-H-E-T, um, they're of Muslim traditions. These people are in Bangladesh. And there's 12,350,000 of these people group, okay? And um, guess how many of them have been born again? Zero on my card right here. 0.00%, okay? Now, the reason I gave you this is what did Jesus ask us to do? He asked us to pray for laborers, didn't He? He asked us to pray for people to go. Amen. Getting emotional about this. I didn't see that coming. Amen. Somebody that'll go. Somebody that'll, that'll, that'll reach out. I, I was listening to a... Uh, a missionary um, that was uh, speaking at Brother Keith Morse Church and uh, the Beerman family. And they're in Nepal. Nepal is the area where um, Mount Everest, uh, the Nepalese people, is what the continent of India, I guess, situated there between India and China. If I'm butchering my geography, just bear with me, right? But he was talking about um, the, uh, I think it's Hindu, uh, Man comes out of the, um, and this is again a people group, an unreached people group way up in the, in the mountain range. And the father of this family, he comes down out of the mountains and makes his way into India to work for a while because his family's so poor and there's no work there and, and um, to earn some money and, and, and go back up there. While he's in India, uh, he hears the gospel and receives Jesus. 
when he finally gets home, the whole way home, he's like, how am I ever going to tell my family that I'm, 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 Jesus is my Lord now and I'm, I'm not uh, a Buddhist any longer? Well, when he gets home, they're like, we're so, so glad you're home. Um, your wife just you know, has hours to live. His wife was very sick at the point of death. And he heard that as a born-again believer, they, he could lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. So he announced to his family that he's a follower of Jesus now and that followers of Jesus can lay their hands on sick people and sick people will be healed. And so he did it. His wife instantly healed, sits up in the bed. His brother was the witch doctor in that area and became very jealous that he did something, right, that was considered supernatural and spiritual and all this stuff. And so he decided he was going to put a curse on his brother. The witch doctor cursed his brother, but the Bible is very clear about it. A curse causes will not alight. A curse without cause will not alight. And so when he cursed his brother, the curse came on him. And now he's at the point of death. Well, his brother knew what he had done, the one that had been born again. He goes to his house and he says, I know what you tried to do to me. Would you like for me to lay hands on you? Yes, please. He, he lays hands on his brother. The Lord heals his brother. His brother gets born again. He goes from witch doctor to apostle and starts 15 churches in this remote area of Nepal. Okay, right? Now, I guarantee you somebody somewhere prayed for some laborers in this remote area. Are you hearing me? Amen. Father, um, we're not done with class yet, but we hold these papers in our hands and Lord, names of people groups and maybe even names of nations, Lord, that, that we can't even, you know, don't even know how to say, Father. We, we ask, Lord, uh, that you would send laborers into these harvest fields. Father, by your power and, and by your wisdom, Lord, that somehow, some way, Lord, these people would hear from another human being of your goodness and of your salvation. The gospel message that contains within it the power of God unto salvation be proclaimed to the men and women in these countries and in these people groups, Father. Lord, who knows, people listening to me right now may, may be called to go one day to these places. But Father, before you ever sent Folks, Lord, <laughs> and Lord, in addition, rather, I guess we should say, Father, you, you first told us to pray for laborers to go. And so whether we're going to help send them or whether we're going to be them, Lord, we ask not. Obviously, we're all in it, Father, here. But, Lord, these, these are extreme situations. And we thank you, Lord, for, for reaching and, and sending and raising up laborers in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want, you to, I want you to keep this. I want you to become familiar. I don't think it was random whatever order they were in when you pull one off the stack, right? And, um, and, and who knows, uh, in heaven one day, uh, I might meet somebody from Pashtun in northern Afghanistan that received the gospel because I prayed for them to receive a laborer. Amen? Amen. See, that wasn't hard, was it? All right, now, how much time we got left? Praise God, where does the time go? Are y'all okay? Everybody good? Okay, now, um, 
So let's do this. Let's talk a little bit about God's will as it's um, set against our authority. And when I say God's will, I'm talking about what God desires, um, what God wants, okay? What, what He would like to see coming to pass uh, in your life, in your family, uh, in your sphere of influence, your community, uh, God's will. God's will for you. We could say God's will like we could say God's plan, God's, God's desire. Uh, uh, and by the way, those are not random, last-minute, slung-together things. Um, God's plans and, and, and will and purpose for your life is something that actually predates your existence on planet Earth. It's a really, really big deal to Him. Okay. Um, and so then we've got what God desires, but then we've got our authority. And so... Again, please, you've, you've, done, you've hung in here with me tonight. and We've got to clear up this confusion, okay? Let me get this back where it needs to be. So here, here's the slide, and, and if there's a better way to say this as far as using the language. I, I, but not everything, number one, two points that we're going to explore. Not everything that happens is God's will. We, we've got, we, listen now, we've got to get past this because... There are people who believe that anything and everything that happens is somehow God's behind it, somehow it was God's will, somehow God desired for it to happen, maybe some tragedy, maybe some disaster, um, and you know God's ways are higher than our ways. We hear people throw that scripture out there, and we don't know why God would want something like this to happen, but He knows best, and this was His will, and, and we may not like it but, but it, but if it happened, it's God's will. That's not true. That's not true. Things happen every day on planet Earth that, that God does not want to happen. That is not His desire, not His will. Let me give you one low-hanging fruit, okay? He's not willing that any should perish. Matter of fact, he's so not willing that any should perish. He sent his only begotten son. He so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? Now, verse after verse after verse in the Bible speak of the will of God as something to be sought out. Sought out? We've got to seek the will of God. Something that should be and can be discovered. The will of God is spoken of in the Bible in terms of something that has to be discerned. How about this one? Understanding what the will of God is. Something that has to be understood. Why would the Bible tell us to understand what the will of God is, if everything that happens is the will of God, then just you know, wake up and see what happens. Doesn't have to be discerned, doesn't have to be figured out, doesn't have to be sought out. Just watch. The will of God not only has to be sought out, discovered, discerned, understood, it has to be followed. It has to be surrendered or submitted to. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and His flesh was screaming... What did, he keep, what did he keep saying out of his mouth? Back to what we were talking about before class started. He didn't just think it. He said it out of his mouth. Not my will, but your will be done. 
We also see that the will of God is something that should be prayed for. And then also the will of God is something that should be proven. Proven. God wants to prove His will. Not proving it to Him. He knows. He's wanting to prove it to you. That His ways are the best ways. And of course, none of these instructions would be necessary if everything that happened was the will of God or is the will of God. Here's the verse. I, I, I quoted it, but let me put it on the screen for you. Ephesians 5 and 17. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what God desires. Understand what God wants for you. What God desires in your life and 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 in practical things, not not just like you know major life events, but but a, a daily thing. All right. Now let's go to Luke chapter nineteen, and, and this is, I think, one of the simplest ways for us to, uh, you know, make a biblical case. It's easy for me to say things like this. Okay, but um, yes, brother. All death God's will? No, sir. No. It's a great question. Great question, but no. Um, and, and again, people take... You can make the Bible say anything you want to make it say by taking things out of context. Right? And so, like, it's appointed unto man once to die. That's a Bible verse. So people take that then... That God's already decided when everybody in here is going to die, and whenever you ever heard this, and whenever it's your time, you just might as well. The Bible doesn't support that. Matter of fact, we even see where a king in the Old Testament, God sent the prophet to him and said, "Okay, buddy, enough. You know, you you've let some things slip." And it, and 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 he turns his face to the wall and cries out to God, and 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 the the prophet's you know already on his way back home, and God speaks to him. He turns back around, comes in the house, and says, "Hey, God heard your prayer." Was it 15 more years? Something like that? Amen? Right? So this whole idea that what you done you is your time, baby, it's your time. Nothing you can do to stop it. You know. See again, and we believe that. The Bible doesn't support that. And the Bible's very clear about it. You live by, even as a born-again believer, you live by your flesh. It will cut your physical life short. Amen. Which means the, the, the things that, that God has for us to do and experience and enjoy and all that for Him in this life uh, is lost. So great question. All right, so here's a classic example. Amen. Let's go to Luke 19, verse 41. It says, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. So let me just stop right here for a minute. Jesus on the back of the donkey coming into Jerusalem. This is what's often referred to as the triumphant or triumphal entry, E-N-T-R-Y. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and the crowds are shouting, Hosanna. They're taking off their overcoats. They're laying them on the ground. They're waving the palm branches. So Palm Sunday you know, was, was where we you know, celebrate this major event in Jesus' uh, life and earthly ministry. And most of the time in like plays or movies or things, um, Jesus is on the donkey and he's almost like a politician, you know, waving to the crowd and, you know, 
touching children and like, you know, like the conquering hero riding in after some great uh, military victory. That is not what was going on here. The Bible says that as Jesus saw the city, what did he do? He wept over it. And if, if you look up that word wept in the original language, it doesn't mean that he was like daubing tears. It means that he was crying bitterly. Okay, I can't prove this in Scripture, but I, I literally believe in my heart that he was, you, you ever cry so hard you snubbed? That, that's, that's the severity of the sorrow and the brokenheartedness that Jesus had as he was riding into um, Jerusalem and saw the city, right? Now, some would say, well, it's because he knew that this was the end and this is the last time and they're going to kill him. No, keep reading. He's also said this, if if you had known, if, that's a key word there, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So why is he crying? He's crying because he came to teach them some things and explain some things to them, equip them with understanding. And it was a very, um, very unique season of their history, right? Where Jesus, the Son of God, was there on the earth teaching and explaining and, and, and preaching, right? And yet there were things that they did not receive Things he said that would have made for your peace, but now, what? They're hidden from your eyes. In other words, they still don't see it. They still hadn't got it. And so why is Jesus crying? Jesus is crying because he came to help them get some things, understand some things. They haven't gotten them yet. They still don't understand them. And he's about to die. Meaning what? The window of opportunity is closing. Verse 43, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because this was my Father's will, because this is how my Father's going to punish you for crucifying me, because Father's had enough of your rebellion and your laziness. Is that what it says? No. Why are these things going to happen? Because it's Father's will? No. They're going to happen because they did not know the time of their visitation. Let me say it another way, Kidda. The answer came, but they didn't give the answer place in their lives. Now, if you know your biblical history and world history, what Jesus saw and knew was going to happen actually did happen in A.D. 70. In A.D. 70. Now, A.D. is Latin for Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. It doesn't mean after death, because we know that Jesus still lives, right? B.C. is before Christ, so time counted up to His birth and then started over, if you will, uh, once He arrived here. And I know, again, not trying to split hairs, some of the calendars and all that jihawing, but again, A.D. 70 is when Rome finally had enough with the Jewish people and did exactly to them what Jesus knew before He ever came to this earth was going to happen. This was spoken 
of in the Old Testament. All right? Now, if you notice that in this passage, we see past, present, and future all mentioned and connected. Past, if you had known, present, but now are hidden from your eyes. Future, days will come upon you. Now, this is clearly not God's will. It's not what He planned. It's not what He wanted. It's not what God desired for these people, but it happened not because it was God's will, but it happened because of choices they made. Are you seeing this? Things happen every day that are not God's will. The time of your visitation, please get a hold of this, man. The time of your visitation is speaking of a strategic, let me put it on the screen. It's speaking of a strategic, unique, and highly significant period of time in your life. The time of your visitation, it's strategic, it's unique, and it's highly significant. I am speaking to a room full of men and women who are in the middle of one of the most strategic, unique, and highly significant periods of time in your existence. Amen. I'm speaking to men and women who have stepped away from their busy lives to connect with God and to connect with God's plan for their lives, to put some old things behind them and to move forward into the life that God always saw you men and women living. This is, again... It is strategic. This is not random. This, you, you may feel like you wandered into this, but you did not. Holy Spirit led you here. He brought you here for such a time as this. Is there not a cause? Is there not a, a, a need? Is there not a, a desire? Are there not, uh, is there not a hunger? Amen. It's strategic, it's unique, and it's highly significant. Amen. We have to be able to recognize the times of our visitation. God is always available. Listen to me. He is always near to those who call upon Him. We talked about this when we looked at it uh, in uh, Isaiah. Amen. Call upon the Lord while He is near. God is always near. God is always near. But there are times in our lives where we are in a better position mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, to call upon Him than other times. Amen. 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 And there are times when it is very easy to say yes to God, and then there are times when it is a lot more challenging to say yes to God. You are in a very strategic, unique, and highly significant time of your life. Amen. 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 I'm... I'm, Sweet Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So why pray if everything's predetermined and, and, and going to happen no matter what we say or do? God is not a puppet master. What does it say about him if he knew the events of AD 70 and he sent Jesus to them over and over again anyway? Let's, I want you to think, let's, let's, try to, let's try to get this real. Let's, let's, let's try to get a hold of this now, okay? In AD 70, that's, that's, we're talking, I mean, let's, let's round it off for, for just easy math, okay? Jesus is basically 33 years old. 
So we're, we're talking about A.D. 70. So we're talking about 37 years, basically from this moment. 37 years in the future. You still with me? I want to make it easy. I want to make it easy. Let's just round it off to 40. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, weeping bitterly, because He knows what's going to happen, and He knows that it didn't have to turn out that way. He knows that it didn't have to end the way it's going to end, but it's going to end because the people that He tried to reach wouldn't listen to Him and receive the message of deliverance and protection and freedom that He came to bring to them. And He is weeping over that. He is sorrowful about that. Okay, Because watch this now. 40 years in the future, this means there are going to be people who aren't even alive yet that are grandfathers 40 years from there. Are you seeing this? See, what I want you to understand is that one of the reasons this is a strategic, unique, and highly significant period of time in your life is because God is trying to show you some things now that will alter future generations of your family. Father is trying to teach you some things and reveal some things to you from the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that will make a difference in generations of your family should Jesus carry His return to the earth 40, 50, 100 years from now. I'm talking about great, great, great grandchildren that you've never seen that might very well be the one who goes to Afghanistan and tells these people about Jesus because you decided to stop watching television long enough to come to a five o'clock class on a Wednesday afternoon. Trying to put this in perspective. Unique, strategic, highly significant, highly significant. I'm saying this as much for, for you as I am for myself. Because it's very easy to fall into this routine. Well, it's Wednesday. All right. I wonder what Pastor Mark's got for us. Hope you have some more of those snacks that had the peanut butter balls in them. Those things were good. I'm just saying, right? But, but, see, but, not, but notice, right? You know, we just, okay, well, let's go, man. Let's go. Let's, yeah, we enjoy class. And we, and, but if we're not careful, we miss. See, I can't wait to get to heaven one day to find out who told that man from the way up there in the, in the Nepalese mountains, right? Who led him to Jesus. What, you know, it's like, did he understand what that one action was going to mean now for generation after generation after generation of people who now know Jesus and will be in heaven one day? One of the strategies Satan uses against us is to, we call it the trivialization of man, an offshoot of that is to try and minimize things that are uh, uber important. To try to make us think that something's not that big a deal when it is an extremely, extremely big deal. Amen. Amen. Some of you know this, but I quit teaching and preaching and was prophesying there a minute ago. So just know that, okay? Now, so as I've taught this over the years, um, I've had some questions, and the questions have helped me teach this better. God, God knowing something in advance is not the same as Him making it happen. Are you following me? 
In other words, he knew this was going to happen. But notice his response to his foreknowledge of it happening. It was to try and get the people to hear and understand things that would have rewritten what ultimately was going to happen. In other words, it could have been averted. It could have been stopped. It could have been changed. It wasn't just set in stone. God knowing in advance is not the same as Him making it happen, and it certainly doesn't change our responsibility to obey His wisdom and commandments. But I think we can also find rest in understanding that Father is going to hold nothing back to save a man, a family, a nation, even if He knows in advance that man, family, and nation will never be saved. But there's always a Joshua and a Caleb. Come on now, do you know their stories? They were in that first generation that came out of Egypt. That stubborn and stiff-necked and rebellious generation that all died in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. They were the exceptions. They were what are sometimes referred to as a remnant. Amen. We heard after 9-11 countless stories of people who were warned by God not to go to the Twin Towers that day. Those were the people who lived to tell that they heard the warning and obeyed. How many heard the warning and didn't obey? I'm not judging anybody. Listen to me. I'm not judging anybody. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. But we have to remain sensitive to the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. My uh, covenant sister, my, my brother's wife, she had a, uh, a tooth that was hurting her on a Friday. And I know it now, but who knew back in those days that most dentists are closed on Friday. Her dentist was closed on Friday. She was trying to find a dentist uh, before the weekend. And um, she called around and she finally found and we were all, she was calling everybody, hey, do y'all know? No, we don't know. She, she called back, say, hey, you found a dentist. And I told my mother, found a dentist, you know, okay. When she got off the phone, man, the, my mother got this real strong impression that she didn't need to go to that dentist. And because we didn't know the dentist, none of the family had ever been there. It was Midfield Dental Clinic up, up here. Nothing against those people. I don't know them, right? And so my mother wrestled with it and wrestled with it. She finally called uh, my, my sister back and uh, Matt's wife back and said, uh, I, Vanessa, I don't understand. I don't have any explanation other than I just really feel like you don't need to go see that dentist. And she was like, I really need a dentist, but okay. So she called and canceled the appointment. It's like 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon. Later that night on the news, an oak tree bigger than you can put your arm around fell through the waiting room of that dentist office when she would have been there with her two children. Now again, sometimes people who've had things happen in their lives and family, and we've certainly had things happen in our lives and family, you know, we get defensive about this and are you saying I'm not spiritually saying, no, no, I, 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 it's not about being a, a, accusations or anything like that. Okay. But Father loves us, 
And he's trying to help us. And the devil's the one who wants to say, well, it was just the will of God. It was just... no, no, see, again, things happen all the time that are not God's will. But he wants to speak to us. But we've got to be in a position to hear him and to listen to him. And so there's, there are exceptions. You, I guarantee you we'll get to heaven and there will be people who were in Jerusalem in AD 70 who survived because they did listen to Jesus. Have you ever thought, and this, this helped me a lot. Jesus kept going down to the temple. They kept trying to kill him. They kept trying to embarrass him. They kept trying to come up with some scenario that would make him, you know, publicly shame him. And, and, and he every time escaped. He every time had the right answer. He ever, and I'm like, you know, Jesus, man, do you not get it? They don't want you down there. Why do you keep going down there? Well, here you see why he kept going down there. He kept going down there because he was trying to get them to listen to truth that would have changed their future. Forty years from now. I'll be 97 years old, 40. How will you be 40 years from now? Don't choke on it. 97? I'll be 97 years old. That'll be the, that'll be the 70th year of discipleship class. <laughs> come on now, if y'all don't if y'all don't take the class ever again, let's all agree right now we're gonna we're gonna come back together on the seventieth anniversary. Amen. Amen. All right, we're talking about we're talking about some years on down the road. Come on with it. I know you will, Tanya. Praise God. Hey, you might be teaching it. You might be helping me teach. Amen. Amen. Wonder what kind of snacks they'll have in those days. <laughs> they probably have peanut butter balls and no calories in them. I don't know. Praise God. All right, let me try to um, let me try to finish this. Um, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to come back to some man. There's a lot of stuff here. We got. We're not going to get through all this tonight. Let's do this. I'll give you the verses next week, okay? Well, let's do it. I'll give them right now. Okay, praise God. Luke 13, 34, 35. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Who were we just talking about? Jerusalem, right? The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted, God speaking now. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You see this? What did God want to do? Like a mother hen gathers her chicks. Protect, provide, nurture, develop, love, all the above. How often God wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her brood and under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we see what God's will is and was for these people. But why did it not happen? Not because he wasn't willing. It was because they were unwilling. Are you seeing this? So 
have we made the case tonight that things happen that are not God's will? And have we made the case that what God wills? So, what it, so the other point was everything that God wants to happen doesn't automatically happen. What did He want to happen here? He wanted to gather them together. This was His will. But it never happened. It never went down like that. Not because God was unable, not because God was unwilling. It was because the people were not willing to submit themselves to what it was that God desired for them. Amen. Amen, amen. You see it, brother? I said I'm going to start when God stopped me. That's right. Amen. I said that before. It's going to be on God's time when he wants me to stop. That's right. Amen. me choosing to take this stop on God's time. Amen. That's right. Amen. One of my uh, heroes in the faith, Brother Kenneth E. Hagan, because the Bible says with long life he'll satisfy you. And, um, and he was famous for saying, if you ever hear I'm gone, know that I was satisfied. Amen. <laughs> if you ever hear I'm gone, know that I was satisfied. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, amen. 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 Unique, strategic, highly significant. Amen. Recognize that. Recognize that. One word from God. Change your life forever. Amen. Father, thank you so much for this time together this evening. Thank you for these beautiful people, Lord. Father, I, I, with the eyes of faith and the eyes of the, of, the, of the Spirit, Lord, I can see their hearts and they're pleasing to you, Lord. Lord, we, we all are growing. We all are learning, Father. But, but, Lord, it blesses you and it touches you when people hunger to know you and to understand your truth and wisdom for our lives. Father, the devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. And on our own, we, we are no match for him, but we're not on our own. We have the spirit of truth. And Lord, as, as we've covered a lot of things tonight, and, and, and Lord, surely um, there are people maybe newly born again and Maybe even some of the things in here, Lord, that we've said tonight, they don't necessarily understand with their brain. But yet, Father, there's the Holy Spirit inside is saying, that's right, that's right, that's right. And Lord, we thank you for that inward witness of the Holy Spirit and for the holy written word of God coming together in such a powerful and effective way, living and powerful in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, know that you love. Thank you for being here. Good things coming for you and yours.